On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I look back at the first week of game, share my takeaways, and some other stories that you may have missed. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, we're one week into this, and the Pacers are 1-4, and four, that lone win coming in Game 3 at home over the Detroit Pistons. So now they're currently on the road, a five-game road trip, which is the second longest this season, only to a very rare seven-game roadie. That will be after Thanksgiving, just because where the Pacers are centrally located, they annually travel like among the fewest miles of all NBA teams because nothing generally is more than two, three hours away, right? You talk about Boston going to San Fran, that might be six pushing seven hours, no more than about four for the Pacers, but a seven-game roadie will be tough after Thanksgiving, and currently... On this five-game one that ends in Brooklyn, but not with one game, but two games. So kind of a weekend series, if you will, that they first had during the pandemic. And I kind of like it. The only awkward part with it or difficult thing is if a key player is out and so you miss out on him not being available for one but two games, especially when it's an Eastern Conference foe. In this case, it's not, but what if it was a division foe as well? You hate to have that um, and prefer them to be spaced out, but it's so difficult for the same team to win one of those back-to-back games just because it's very difficult to beat the same team twice and so close together because by that second game, you can really lock in and know exactly what they want to do. It's all of a matter of how you play and how you're able to execute against that team uh, despite knowing exactly what they want to do. I'm recording this Friday early afternoon, and one thing that is different is that tonight the Pacers not only will play on national TV for the only time they're scheduled this season, more on that in a second, but they will do so without their head coach. A really cool thing is happening here tonight for Rick Carlisle and his family. Rick, you may have not known, but when he took this job with the Pacers last year, He moved to Indy by himself. His wife, Donna, who he met here, uh, as well as his daughter, who then was a junior in high school, they remained home in Dallas so that she could finish out school with her friends at her school um, and all that, not kind of be uprooted in the middle of things. And that's kind of can be awkward, uncomfortable um, for a a teenager right at that stage. And you're, what, 16, 17? Do you really want to start over versus all those friends that she's probably had for 10 years? Anyways, Rick said, you know what, let me do this, and I think this is awesome for him, for his family, but especially for Abby. She's a senior cheerleader in high school, a captain of the squad. Tonight is the regular season finale. It's senior night. It's homecoming. So she's going to be celebrated, honored, and uh, Rick wanted to be there, so he will. He left the team during this road trip just for this one day, and uh, it was cool. Friday afternoon text. A couple of photos from the morning pep rally that went down of both just him and Abby and then him with the team mascot and and a couple other cheerleaders. So we all know him as coach, know him as the Pacers head coach. Some across the league know him as the president of the NBA Coaches Association. Tonight, today, really, he's just dad. And that's awesome because there's so much that goes into this job. Not just that, but being a trainer, being a player, being a staff member, massage therapist. You, you have no idea how much they miss beyond just 
missing time and being out of town and maybe not being able to do school pickup. There's also bigger events that they probably miss, like prom, uh, maybe New Year's Eve, maybe Christmas with their family, that type of thing. That's why so many players, I would guess the majority, rather not play on Christmas Day, for example. They rather spend that time with immediate and uh, other family members that may be coming to town or or whatever. They want to be in town, and they want to be with those that are closest to them. So no Rick Carlisle Friday night against the Wizards. Second time the Pacers are already playing the Wizards in nine days here. Uh, hosted them, obviously, on opening night. With Rick being away, you know the drill. It's going to be Lloyd Pierce, just like it was last year. Uh, but it just for this game, Rick will return to the team on Saturday for the second end of their back-to-back as they face the Brooklyn Nets Saturday night. Um, but it'll be Lloyd Pierce running the show, along with the other assistants. They do it by committee, essentially, uh, Friday night against the Washington Wizards. The previous game marked the return of Miles Turner. He returned Wednesday in a loss at Chicago and was just fine. Nothing memorable. He did have four blocks, which you come to expect with Miles game in and game out. But you could tell that he hadn't played with a lot of those guys. You could tell that he hadn't played in a meaningful game since January. And you could tell that he hadn't played at all for over 10 days or so. It was just a bizarre scenario. Unusual, um, but not rare situation happened back on October 19th, two hours before the Pacers opened the season at home against the Washington Wizards. I was out there. I was out on the court, and Miles was just do, going through his normal pregame routine, working with Lloyd Pierce. Miles is one of the few players that Lloyd actually works with. Last year, the only one. And so Lloyd was passing it to him, putting him through some work. They were working under the basket, and Miles went up with it and stepped his left foot on a foot of not a ball boy. That was misreported by national reporters it was a basketball assistant or as you would probably know him as an intern it's generally former college basketball players who just graduated want to be coaches or work for teams so this is a perfect opportunity for them to work in the big leagues to work with NBA players are on the court every day and oftentimes they are playing especially in training camp especially when there's a lot of injuries they're wearing pennies out there or after shoot around maybe they're playing three on three I recently posted a video traveling Queen who signed a two eight deal with the Pacers and playing three on three after a recent shoot around. Well, he was with a couple teammates, but mostly against those basketball assistants. And what's really cool is uh, the assistants from last year have gone on to bigger and better things. They've worked their way up or are working their way up. Noel Hightower, who you'll hear from in an upcoming podcast, he's out west working for the Golden State Warriors system, working for their G League team. Logan Bauer, he's in Chicago working for them. And there's several others, usually about, I don't know, six basketball assistants each year. And they're very important to the day-to-day of Pacers getting things done and being able to play, play on the practice court, those sorts of things. Nonetheless, yeah, just unlucky break for Miles. A brief setback. Fortunately, nothing awful. Fortunately, nothing significant. And fortunately, with it being to that same left foot as last year that he suffered a stress reaction to, and it kept him out for the final 39 games of the season, 
Nothing correlated. Did not overlap with those injuries. That was to kind of the foot, the middle of the foot. This was just an ankle sprain that probably all of us have suffered doing something or tripping or you know what have you. Uh, just an unlucky break for him, but he did return on Wednesday, got his blocks. But you got to keep in mind, first of all, I think we should all give him probably at least two weeks to kind of evaluate his game, find a game rhythm, find game shape, and get accustomed to some of these players that he was with and camp with but had not played in a regular season game with before, including Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Benedict Matherin, for example. Um, those guys, Jalen Smith, you can add him to that bunch as well. And now the Pacers starting Turner and Jalen Smith. So, yes, Demata Sabonis is gone. Um, so Miles can be the featured big in there. Well, to try to retain, and they did Jalen Smith. They also promised him the starting four spot, which is not his natural position. He came in, told me last year at uh, his first introductory media press conference that, no, he's played the five his entire life. He's been playing some four, but five's what he knows, so it's going to be a little bit for him to adapt. That's what he focused on this offseason. It's what he focused on in training camp as he played beside Miles and then that's why I think in that first game, especially the Pacers played so poorly. It was that was a bit of a sudden shakeup that none of the players were prepared for. It was Terry Taylor who actually started in Miles Turner's spot. He then played the four, and Jalen moved to that five spot and was not productive playing that five spot. What he hadn't done and focused on over the last six months or so there, but that was the decision. Then a couple days later, they tweaked the lineup again. I guess until Miles returned, it was Jalen, uh, excuse me, it was Isaiah Jackson and Aaron Neesmith who got the start, moving Chris Torte to the bench, which I thought was interesting. Neesmith, more of a two way guy, also a lottery pick in 2020, like Tyrese Halliburton and like Jalen Smith. But that's another thing of many that they're trying to figure out this year. Miles back in the lineup, back able to do his thing. Now let's start to see here in a couple weeks how productive he can be and hopefully remains healthy because he's a pivotal part to what the Pacers are trying to do and the defense has been nothing short of atrocious. It was bad last year. It might be even worse this year. Again, though, small sample size. We're barely just over a week into this regular season. If you haven't checked it out on FieldhouseFiles.com, I have a conversation with Trevlin Queen, the latest player to be added to the roster. Before that, it was Langston Galloway, who is, was eventually cut here before the opening night roster. Queen, though, signing a two-way deal last year. If you don't know much about him, he was the standout G League player. G League MVP, finals MVP. He won a championship down with the Houston Rockets organization, the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. Immediately parlayed that into a two-year non-guaranteed contract, partial guarantee, I guess I should say, with the 76ers. Got him 300000 which is a really good deal for just a partial guarantee of a guy who once was homeless, who never thought he had a future in the NBA, and now is trying to make something of it. He's been in the league for several years, actually, since that 2020 season. Another one of those after he played a community college, junior college, and then two years at New Mexico State University, but you can read that conversation uh, on fieldhousefiles.com. A couple other stories I've written about, but I also want to get in depth here before I share some more takeaways about this Pacers start. How about Benedict Matherin and what the Pacers did for him? I wanted to go in depth on this because I thought this was really cool. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was the day after opening night, after team practice, Rick Carlisle walked him down the hallway, around the corner, over to towards the Pacers' locker room area, their private kitchen, and waiting on him was a special buffet. Four entrees, some side dishes, but stuff he has not had, a special thing he has not had in over four years, which surprised me. It was a meal home-cooked by his mother, his mom and his sister, Jennifer are obviously going to be in town not only for opening night, but the fact that the Pacers had their first three games of the season at home made it very convenient for them to come to town. But more than that, they worked with Karen Atkinson, who doesn't give enough credit for what her and her staff of three do behind the scenes as player relations. This is falling short of what she does, but I kind of refer to her as the team mom. Whatever they do, whatever they need, and whatever makes them comfortable, She does. So maybe it's needing a house. Maybe it's needing a a new sofa. Maybe it's needing transportation for their wife or girlfriend. Or maybe it's making sure the family room at games is pleasant. Um, I can go on and on. But this is cool. She hooked up with Benedict's mom and sister and said, hey, you know what? He won't shut up about a home-cooked Haitian meal. And if you read his story on the Players' Tribune from about a month ago, you read that as well where he said, that it is elite, that it is his favorite meal. But he hadn't had it in four years. The last two years, he played at University of Arizona in college. The two years before that, Mexico City at the NBA Latin Academy. And so he has been away from something that so many of us perhaps take for granted. And so it was a home-cooked Haitian meal. He's a proud Haitian Canadian, and uh, I thought that was really cool. Uh, So read how that exactly went down at fieldhousefiles.com. I also confirmed the heinous uniforms that we will soon see from the Pacers. Just a special edition uniform, but that one I'm talking about is the city edition uniform by Nike, and I can't believe this has gone on just because of how... Yeah, thanks, Siri. I appreciate you listening in. Uh, (laughs) But uh, they will wear these uniforms seven times. The first time will be on November 12th when they're at home. Uh, But the city uniforms are just pretty basic. What I have been told by several people is actually they were worse. There was another design that was proposed by Nike, and the Pacers said, no, 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 let's do something different. So in a short time frame... They had to turn around and design a whole new jersey. So they went with a theme based around kind of the the Fieldhouse, Gamebridge Fieldhouse, the reopening to celebrate that after three years of renovations. And if you listen to one of my other previous podcasts I had on the Pacers president, COO Mel Raines, who talked at length about that, the changes and, and what you can expect and what you should know. But those over there at the Pacers are not very proud of and will ensure will not happen again. But yes, Those are accurate, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can read that at fieldhousefiles.com. But they will, again, wear those on November 12th. One other thing I wanted to pass along that I thought was interesting, noteworthy, just because it was different, was how Kevin Pritchard, the Pacers president since 2017, 
penned a note to Pacer fans before the season tipped off. I always check out the Came Time program that's free and handed out at home games. And the first non-ad in the program, I think it was page four, was a, a note written by Kevin Pritchard and a photo of him as well, basically explaining what this season is all about, how they have a new direction, how it is a rebuild, how it's not about wins, how it's about getting themselves right on a good, positive, productive path moving forward for fans to hang with them. Um, There will be growing pains. I know I keep saying that here and on my radio hits and probably in my writing, but yeah, growing pains will be abundant this season. But I can't remember, not to say it didn't happen, but I can't remember a coach or president of the Pacers putting in a note like that in the, the program and addressing fans before the season. I thought it was important, though, actually. We don't hear from him much. He likes to stay in the background, talks a couple times each year, but I did want to pass along that. If you've watched Pacer games, you've known that the coaching staffs, yet again, are wearing team apparel for games, not suits or anything like that. And I always ask Rick Carlisle about that, not only because he's the Pacers head coach, because he's also the president of the Basketball Coaches Association. And so he was saying, yeah, overwhelming percentage of coaches, over 80%, wanted to stay like it is. And I like that because I, I like the uniformity of all that, how you look at the bench. And, yes, while there can be you know, 10, 12 assistants or staff members sitting behind the bench that look like a team, that's exactly what they look like, though, by the way. They're all wearing the same thing, maybe the same quarter zip. And they look as one. And the other big thing of that, especially on these road trips, is you don't have to think about what you're taking, and you don't have to pack a lot. I was talking with Chris Denary about this before the road trip. You got five games. How many suits do you have to take? I would guess three, maybe four. Fortunately, guys, you don't really need one per each. Um, now, if you're at home, you'll probably wear a different suit and have a heavy rotation, depending on how many suits you have. But you could take a basic blue and a basic black and wear those each a couple of times. Nonetheless, that's extra stuff to pack. So it simplifies everything. And I'm all about simplification and making things easy. But you can read Rick's comments about that at fieldhousefiles.com um, as well. A couple other things before some of my takeaways for the season. Malcolm Brogdon has come out and said almost everywhere, which is amazing. It seems like, now given I'm looking for it, but it seems like Brogdon is talking a ton. Maybe it's just because he's you know, a reserve and, and misses being the spotlight, but I've been surprised how many interviews he's done and how many have been claimed to be exclusives when he's reiterating the same thing. Anyways, he has said several times how the Pacers came to him to try to work with him on a trade. He mentioned the Raptors were a possibility, then the Celtics, and he thought the Celtics were ahead of the Raptors, so he asked maybe they could pursue something with them which says a little bit about the players they got in return because Aaron Neesmith lottery pick, you thought maybe how they felt about him was a little bit higher just because they wanted something of value in return in addition to the first-round pick, which I think they would have been comfortable with alone. They all obviously waived three, not meaningless guys, but end-of-bench guys that aren't going to get playing time to try to sign and get DeAndre Ayton. That didn't work out. And then Daniel Tice... Not exactly sure when or if you will see him. Um, Tice has not participated in training camp. He's not participated in the preseason or in games. He is traveling with the Pacers. He never really did have an offseason, for one, and I'll get into this more in a story I had one-on-one with him here uh, recently. But Tice was stunned to be traded. 
He loved everything about his Boston situation, the winning situation, his role. He finally got paid a couple years ago with Houston and then was acquired back by the Boston Celtics. And I think if he had his way, he would end up back there once again. But nonetheless, he had really no offseason and had some knee soreness that happened throughout his time with Germany while playing in Eurobasket. And Pacers don't really exactly have a need for him. I'm not sure where he would fit in if he was ready to go right now. And so right now he's just kind of sitting out, making sure he's healthy and can get back to 100%. Um, the only other injury of note that happened in the preseason, Aaron Neesmith had plantar fascia in his left foot, and those worry me, worry, worry anybody, just because those things linger. But so far it hasn't seemed to bother him or slow him up after he sat out for, I think, a couple weeks and missed the rest of the preseason because of it. Now he's starting and just trying to find his place, find his role, and find how he can contribute on this team. All right, I want to talk about some of my takeaways from the first week or so of this season. And on Thursday, I posted a story, but here I can get a little bit more in-depth about what I've observed and uh, what has not gone well and what has since opening night and you got to start, I think, for the Pacers with, well, their start to games, which has been abysmal. First of all, in the big picture, they're giving up 122 points per game. That's the third highest behind only the Warriors and Grizzlies, which is a little bit surprising. But defense, slow starts, that's been the story. Because the Pacers are giving up the most points of any team easily in the first quarter. Almost 36 per game. They're falling behind automatically, essentially, by double digits. They're going into that second quarter with a 10-point deficit or greater. So they're falling behind and then having to spend the next several quarters fighting back, getting back. And it was ugly. The first, what, two games of the season, not having a lead whatsoever, I think, for six quarters, that was not good. And even more telling is if you go deeper on the numbers, 138 points allowed per 100 possessions in that opening quarter. For reference, they're giving up 138. Most teams are giving up below 110. That's a huge seismic difference right there. And I don't think there's any obvious answer. I think there's a lot of contributing factors. First of all, Miles Turner not being in there for the majority of games. We know what kind of impact he has on the defensive end, how uh, so many times they send their defender to him. They're trying to get away from that and guard their yard. And I think that's where it starts is players are losing their individual matchups and the communication has been poor. Then there's not a great familiarity. Yes, they have a training camp, but that's only three weeks long. And then, by the way, you start with game one. And you have a different starting lineup than you had projected because it's Terry Taylor starting over him. Now Miles is back, and it's Aaron Neesmith, not Chris Dorte, in the starting lineup. So that's what it's like for a team like the Pacers. That's uh, so fresh, so new, and so different. What they have to spend the first couple of months working on, finding chemistry, learning teammates' tendencies, and things like that. That's why so often... You don't want to judge a team for the first 25 or 30 games. It's so often why continuity, those teams with continuity, you're going to see take off. Remember the Pacers of, what, 2013? Didn't they start something like, I don't know, 30-8? and eight? That's a big reason why. Not only were they talented, but they gelled well. They had expectation for one another. They knew exactly their roles. Those different things. Well, this bunch, for example, Miles, 
He hadn't played with Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald, like I said. And he's new playing with Benedict Matherin, and he's not 100%, and he's still finding his rhythm. So there will be some of that. But a lot of it, too, is just guys getting beat and guys not communicating, spacing being poor. Got so many of it is getting beat at the basket and giving up layups. Points in the paint, especially in the first few games, not good whatsoever as they were giving up you know, significant portions of their points there. Now, offensively, the biggest change that I've noticed is they're playing more of a Rick Carlisle-style offense, and that means run and shoot threes, shooting the third most threes after a week of games, hoisting over 40 per game. Yeah, you loyal Pacer fans know you're not used to seeing that. You remember Nate McMillan's final year, 2019-2020? They didn't even attempt 30 per game. It was 28. They were last in attempts, and the Pacers don't have a great three-point shooting roster just yet. There's Buddy Heald, there's Tyrese Halliburton, Matherin can, Duarte can, so many other guys can, but some of them are in ruts, some of them are still trying to find their shot. Neesmith, what does his look like? For example, we shall see. Um, And then the other positive I'll highlight is what the Pacers have done on the run as they look to get out and go. They rank third in fast break points with over 20 points per game uh, from that capacity. So their pace is quicker than 80% of the teams, and that's something that they're trying to do. All right, let's touch on a few individual efforts. First of all, Tyrese Halliburton leading the team in scoring, leading them in assists. You can almost count on 10 assists per game from him, which he's done at least and all but the first game against the Wizards, which was uh, just a bit of an unusual game. But he also surprisingly leads the team in field goal attempts, which uh, caught me off guard a little bit because he's a pass-first point guard. He prefers, like me, setting up teammates, getting others involved, making sure they have a special night. However, he's also being asked to do more. He said and talked at great length about this offseason knowing that he had to take on a greater role in many capacities, and that includes shooting the ball more. And we criticized him some last year for passing up open shots, for not being aggressive when he needed to. So there is a delicate balance here between all of that. But this team will be best, I believe, when he is not the top field goal uh, shooter on the team in terms of attempts, but when he can defer. when I don't know what that right number is, probably 12 to 15 per game probably on that lower end, 10 to 12. Uh, and you'll probably have a couple guys in 16 to 18 normally. Although, again, Rick Carlisle's true to his word and has been playing 10, 11, 12 guys every single night. Huge rotation. You don't usually see that. Most contending teams, for example, play, say, a 10-man rotation. Because then once you get to the playoffs, it shrinks even more, and maybe it'll go down to 8 or 9. But overall, I like the way Halliburton has started the season. He's scoring, he's passing, getting teammates open, still finding that rhythm and chemistry with teammates. Uh, I'd just like to see him pass a little bit more and have that outweigh his field goal attempts per game. A guy like Chris Duarte, to me, is sitting back and, and seeing where he fits. Duarte is very much trying to figure out his role. Uh, I thought it was telling one time during training camp, he came over and talked and said, you guys don't even want to talk to me. Kind of in a joking manner, but I think that also reflected, hey, I'm no longer the hot guy. I'm no longer the number one topic, as he was when he was their top pick, a lottery pick, one year ago. Now that's Matherin. 
Now that's also Tyrese Halliburton, the leader of the team. Miles getting a lot of attention uh, for missing time and now being back and where he can help defensively. Will he be traded? All that sort of stuff. So I, I think he's had a tough time individually to try to reestablish himself. But that's what I want to see from him over the next couple of weeks. Buddy Heald's a player that could play as few as like 15 minutes like he has did like the first game or can really step up and play a big role like he did in the loss in Chicago where on that same night that he made 7 of 12 three-pointers, the Lakers went 8 for 30. And I think that conversation will be ongoing until the Lakers finally pull the trigger and make a move whether that's with the Pacers or not. But I think he's been accepting of his role, handled things well. He's had long conversations with the front office, with the coaching staff. And I think he understands his place and what they want from him and try to fit in, try to defend a little bit more. Uh, So that's where he's at right now. I think all of the bigs have had some bright spots, whether it's Goga playing very well. The key thing for him is just getting consistently over 20 minutes per game. He's not very good playing 8 and 10 minutes and not knowing what to expect and when he plays. Now, he was the odd man out when Miles returned. Uh, Isaiah Jackson, so good as a lob threat, decent rebounder. Jalen Smith had some good moments, so I think that's all very positive. I like what we've seen from TJ McConnell as he's returned to form. Uh, Remember, he missed a lot of last season, most of last season, after having surgery on his hand uh kind of the wrist thumb area with a ligament but it's so fun watching him again I come from a point guard mentality kind of spoke about it earlier how I like seeing what Halliburton can do when he passes it same thing with McConnell and same thing with Andrew Nimhart who hilariously goes from not playing against the Wizards on opening night to then the next night playing so well that he leads the team in minutes and plays over 30 minutes per game that was his debut The trouble with him I see right now, along with several other players, are where do the minutes come from? O'Shea Brissett clearly on the outside looking in. Terry Taylor kind of on the fringe. And that's a real debate I see for Rick Carlisle is getting guys minutes. But adequate minutes is a key thing as well, and not just you know six, seven, and eight minutes because it's hard to find that game timing and and find your place when you're out there in short bursts rather than really settle in and get comfortable with a unit out there. And so far, Carlisle's tried so many different combinations that I thought it was notable how that the previous starting group before Turner had only played a total of 20 minutes in game together. That's a terribly small sample size, even for a week of games. So you can't really have too much of a takeaway. And I think the reason why that group has played so short is because they've been unproductive and they've been outscored. And so, you know, four and five minutes in each game, Rick's pulling somebody or two out to try to find a a jolt of energy off the bench and change the feel of the game, and then he's never really going back to it later in the game or to finish games. The last guy I wanted to single out here was Benedict Matherin because of the start that he has been able to have. I mean, tremendous start for him. 19 against the Wizards, then back-to-back games of 26 and 27. He's Easily good for about 15 points per game. I thought he didn't play very well against the Bulls, struggled a little bit, and still managed to finish with 15 points despite not making a three, and he's gone one for 10 from three over his last two games. Did think it was really cool in his first game, his debut last week, in addition to his mom and his sister being able to be there right there with him. 
but also several coaches from the University of Arizona staff were there, and I was able to talk with Tommy Lloyd, the head coach at Arizona, afterwards, so that story is on fieldhousefiles.com as well, but was able to discuss you know, him wanting to support Benedict and kind of how he was such a good scorer, how he is such a confident player, and also how he, to use Tommy's word, how he has the clutch gene, and he wants it in late-game situations and things like that. I thought that was uh, really cool, not only for Tommy to be there, but also for Benedict to have that support and to see the player he's becoming. Obviously, he's going to have among the best starts in franchise history because the Pacers have so rarely drafted that high. He was the sixth pick. Before that, the Pacers haven't, hadn't drafted inside the top 10 since before I was born, since you know the mid-1980s. So, yeah, of course there's going to be some stats that, that show up and are impressive. But you like early on his aggressiveness, his willingness to attack, get to the basket. And the one thing that has really surprised me so early on is how he's been able to finish through contact. That takes time usually. Like, it's tough. The, the physicality of the NBA and the contact, sometimes they'll let you, let you play through. He not only was taking that contact, but finishing at the rim. And I thought that had been very impressive. I don't mind him coming off the bench, especially for the first several months. I prefer that, actually, because from what we've seen thus far, when he does so, he's the featured guy. He can be that guy of the second unit. He thrives playing off TJ McConnell and Isaiah Jackson, by the way, as the big with that group. So I like that rather than, you know what, seeing him with the starters, you know, later in the game and or more of the starters, it kind of reminds me of last year when Halliburton joined the team and Brogdon played some and Halliburton wasn't himself with Brogdon because he deferred. He, he didn't want to ruffle feathers. He, he kind of just sat back and waited for the game to come to him. That's not Matherin's game. Matherin has to take charge. He needs the ball in his hand, and he needs to attack. He's getting to the free throw line with great frequency, which they love. This team has not done that very well in recent seasons. All positives. A little bit of a, a teaching moment, I think, for him in Chicago, where <laughs> a little Arizona on his Arizona crime as clock was winding out, final 10 seconds. Dale and Terry dribbling out the clock or trying to, or shot clock, and after hanging out for a second, Matherin attacked him, took the ball, and tried to go down and score. And I thought it was a really cool moment because of how veteran Nikola Vucevic handled it. Yeah, he was talking to him a little bit, saying, you don't do that, rookie, at the free throw line. Matherin made both shots, but then clock expired. Vucevic walked over, said a few words, put his arm around him, said a few more things, and then they both went on their way. And I think that is exactly how moments like that should be handled, and I'm sure those conversations for with Matherin, with my guess of Rick Carlisle, with Ronald Norad, with TJ McConnell, the point guards, explaining to him how things are done. Now, it does kind of prove a point and further the point of how Benedict always competes and how he hates to lose. There's countless stories about that, but there's also knowing the situation, the time and place, and you would hate for him or someone else to get injured because of an, a weird situation just like that. So while, yeah, there are some positives out of that, I, I also think you're just like, hey, Ben, don't do that. We, we don't need that. They don't need that. It was a 17-point game well in hand. I know it's cool and kind of cute how you go, hey, game's not over. But it really was. There was five seconds left. Uh, nonetheless, that was uh, one of the few things that I thought Matherin uh, didn't do well uh, or handle properly. And it's just been a great start for him as the – probably the most talented player on this roster. A lot of great hope with him in this Pacers team moving forward. But 
Let me hit my uh, button over here, right? Growing pains, and they will be uh, continuous throughout the remainder of this season. Thanks for listening. If you made it all the way to the end of this podcast, shoot me a tweet and let me know that you did. I appreciate your support here of the Fieldhouse Files podcast. A lot to talk about in the first week of the season. I have several great guests lined up for you as well, but I wanted to get to this before the weekend as I had so much to uh, say, really, after the first week of the season as this team uh, unpredictable as always and a variety of things and issues I've had to deal with and are continuing to deal with but nonetheless stay with me as usual as we continue I want to say I've done this since 2015 so this would be what year seven eight going on eight of this podcast and I appreciate you who maybe joined me late joined me in the last couple of years or been with me from the very beginning nonetheless this has been the Fieldhouse Files podcast and I'll talk to you again soon